everyone. Welcome back to the Alberta Roundup. I'm your host, Rachel Emanuel. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Tracy Wilson of the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. You guys likely remember that in May 2020, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government banned over 1,500 models of firearms through an order in council. While Wilson and the CCFR spent much of last week in federal court challenging that ban. And she has an update for us on how that went and what she expects the results to be. I'm joined by Wilson now. Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today on the Alberta Roundup. So we were just chatting a little bit and you've pretty much spent the last two weeks in federal court where the CCFR is challenging Ottawa's firearms ban. Can you give me a little update on what some of the arguments the CCFR has made and how you feel about the court proceedings? Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity. So we've been in court April 11th through the 20th. We had an eight-day hearing here in Ottawa in the federal court. Uh, which is inside the Supreme Court building downtown on Wellington Street. And this was an opportunity for us to finally bring forward our case. We've been under case management for about two years now, um, working with uh, Associate Chief Justice Jocelyn Gagne. And now this was our, you know, our time to plead our case. <clears throat> so the, the CCFR challenge is pretty complex, actually. There's about seven parts to it. There's a couple of charter arguments in there, some administrative law. And basically, we're just sort of picking away at the way the liberals did this. For the most part, it revolves around the fact that they used an OIC, an ordering council, which for American listeners is sort of like an executive order. And um, that's not the appropriate way. It circumvents the democratic process and parliament and the procedures it's supposed to go through. Um, so, yeah, we've got them on that. And then some charter stuff. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think all Canadians should be interested to know the answer to the question of whether or not the government can step into your life, despite the fact you've done nothing wrong or nothing to warrant it, and take property that you acquired legally and have owned for uh, decades without issue. I, I need to know that. I, I want to know if the government so can do that. So we're going to find out. So the Alberta government, as I covered a few weeks ago, was actually one of what sounds like the only people who were granted intervener status in this case. Of course, the province of Alberta has been one of the biggest champions for firearms rights, arguably the largest champion for firearms rights of all the provinces. What arguments did they make in court? Well, they spoke a lot about jurisdiction. And I just want to say I am grateful, eternally grateful uh, to the government of Alberta and the province of Alberta for stepping in on this. They were granted intervener status. Interestingly enough, um, there were other applicants who did apply for that status, like Wendy Sukir from the Coalition for Gun Control. However, she was denied intervener status and Alberta was granted it. So it was really nice to have them there on our side. Uh, they argued some jurisdictional stuff about the federal government, you know, imposing their will on Albertans and the province of Alberta. Um, so they had some great arguments. They got along great with our legal team. And I know on the final day, um, all the legal teams, you know, on, on our side of the courtroom type thing, um, all went for lunch afterwards and they were taking selfies outside and it was just really nice to see. But Alberta um, has been 
an overwhelming champion for gun owners on multiple levels. And I'm grateful to uh, to the government as a whole, to Tyler Shandro for standing up, and of course to the Alberta CFO. She's just great. So you've obviously described, you know, a very happy attitude between your two legal teams there. You and I were actually in the same Twitter space just last week, and you mentioned that you were feeling pretty positive about the case. I think you ranked it like a 7.5 out of 10% chance that the case would go your way. Are you still feeling that positive about it? And if so, you know, why do you feel so confident that the court is going to rule in the CCFR's favor? Yeah, I, I still feel that way. So I think the the best thing we can do, of course, you know, there like I said, there's seven parts to our um to our 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 court battle. Um, some of it's charter stuff, some of it is administrative law, and some of the more boring stuff that's not as exciting when you're listening is the stuff that we'll probably win on. Um, and the reason I feel so hopeful is both the final day of the hearing and the second last day, the government lawyers, the team for the crown. Um, stood up and approached the judge and said, you know, when she does come back with a decision some months from now, if she rules against them and rules in our favor, you know, they want an opportunity to speak with her about if there's a domino effect from doing that. Because normally when you get a decision, it'll set case precedence. It's case law, right? So they're, I think they're worried that um, if and when we win uh, this challenge, if it will have an impact on other gun bans or other things that were done through OIC. And it, the truth is it absolutely will. So I see why they're worried. Um, so I was a little shocked to see them kind of say that out loud and put their cards on the table, but yeah. And our, between all the teams, they did an incredible job sort of tearing down the arguments um, from the liberal government's lawyers. And yeah, I feel pretty confident about it. Yeah, that certainly sounds like quite the omission from the federal government. Uh, they seem a little bit nervous, definitely, by asking that question. And it's funny that you were very aware of that and caught on to that. I know my viewers are also wondering, when can we expect a ruling on this case? And if it doesn't go your way, if the court doesn't rule in favor of you, where do we go from here? Right. So, I mean, you know, a federal court decision of this size and complexity will probably take a number of months. Um, you know, the 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 standard is usually one to six months, but on average about three months for a decision. They're very long and, and complicated. Um, so, you know, and it'll explain different parts, maybe what we went on. How it does work though, is the judge starts working through all the evidence. She doesn't just have the eight days of testimony. She's got probably five, three foot stacks of paper, um, all the affidavits, everything that we put forward. The government didn't really have any of evidence um, but we had, I think it was over 2,800 pages that we provided to her. So she's got a lot of reading and work to do. Um, it'll take her a number of months to do that. But how it works is she starts working through that evidence. And when she gets to a point that she says, oh, okay, this person won, whatever side it is, that's where she stops. There's no real need to go through the rest of it. So it could be as soon as one month, but I, I would guess about three months. And a lot of people have asked, well, what if we don't win? I mean, there's no guarantee and it's impossible to predict an outcome. Um, and the truth is, if we don't win, then expect it to go to the appeals court and then onto the Supreme Court. We promised gun owners right from the beginning that we would not leave no stone unturned nor avenue unexplored and we meant it. So we're gonna go all the way. And is it fairly safe to assume that if it does go in your way and it doesn't go in the way of the federal government, we'll see the same thing. It'll go to the appeal court and then on to the Supreme Court. I suspect they're not just going to let the issue rest or am I mistaken on that? 
I think they will probably also appeal it, but more for the sake that it would bide them a little more time. At the end of the day, they have no idea how to carry out the second part of their gun ban, which is the confiscation end of it, the buyback program, they call it. Um, They have no idea how to do that. It's been almost three years. These are supposedly guns so dangerous that the average Canadian can't own them, regardless of the fact we've had them for generations. Um, And yet here we are almost three years later and they're still sitting in my gun safe. So um, I think they're struggling to figure out how they're going to go about confiscating them. I've said right from the beginning, it's logistically impossible. So I think for them, if they could just bide a little more time, um, they could probably reuse this as a new election promise down the road when it's election time and say, look, if you give us a fourth mandate, this time we'll do it right. Instead of through an OIC, we'll table it in proper legislation. And if you really want these guns banned, you better vote for us one more time. So that's what I expect to happen. Um, you know, we're, we're in it to win it. And I think they're in it just to, just to kick the can down the road a little further. And Tracy, you mentioned this a little bit at the beginning of the show, but obviously, you know, firearms owners are just feeling so frustrated. This is property that they have purchased. They have acquired it legally. Firearms owners already have to jump through a lot of hoops to be able to own these weapons. And it seems like the federal government is very easily able to just you know, retract their ownership. They're able to retract their property. At least that's what the federal government is seeking to do right now. You're obviously working to stop that. What can firearms owners really do to protect themselves? Is it just a nature of who they vote in for their government or is there actually other things they can do as well? Yeah, well, I mean, voting, of course, is ultimately we need a political solution here. And of course, there's no law that's ever truly evergreen. So I know a lot of people say, you know, if we get a conservative government, we've got to ensure that they put something in place that we don't keep going back and forth like this. And the unfortunate truth is there, there is no such thing as evergreen um, uh, legislation to protect you for all eternity. We're not the United States. We don't have a second amendment. Um, having said that though, um, there's a lot that gun owners can do besides just voting. First of all, they've got to vote. Whenever we do get an election, See if you can book the day off, see if you can go out there, drive people to the polls, speak to five people, talk to five family members, email everybody on your list right now. There's a bunch of pre-advocacy we can do like that. And then more importantly, get out there and volunteer, whether it's for your firearms organizations or for your local conservative candidate, candidate, or I know there in Alberta, you guys have an election coming up and I, I can't even fathom looking at the polls how close it is with the NDP and the UCP. And to me, that's absolutely terrifying. It's like people have forgotten. It would be like bringing Kathleen Wynne back to Ontario. I I literally left the province when she was here. So, you know, I think people, unfortunately, for the most part, gun owners just want to be left alone, but we're not in that position. So we are forced to be politically active, um, to organize. And of course you can always volunteer with the CCFR and, uh, Check out all the work we do online at ccfr.ca. But um, I think it's going to take a little more than that. I think we're going to have to do more than just vote. We're going to have to get up and volunteer. We're going to have to put our boots right to the ground. 
Yeah, I think that's great insight. I really appreciate it. I know my viewers will as well. I think what you mentioned about gun owners really just wanting to be left alone is really a conservative principle. You know, conservatives just want to be left alone. But what you just mentioned about needing to get involved in politics and volunteer is very astute and very relevant, especially over here in Alberta. As you mentioned, we are heading into an election. The writ is going to drop in just a couple of days. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and giving us this update. And I know my viewers will as well. Again, that was Tracy Wilson from the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Rachel. Okay, everyone, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Alberta Roundup. As always, please comment on the video below and let me know what you thought of this week's interview. If you have some suggestions of other guests you would like to see on the show, feel free to let me know as well. As well, if you're able to support independent media, please head over to donate.tnc.news. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend and God bless.